0: there and welcome to the craftish podcast I am Vicki Howell this episode is brought to you by penguin random house audio offering hands-free inspiration while you're making your next handmade thing so if you love a good book but your hands and your eyes are busy doing things like I don't know sewing knitting sculpting or frankly driving taking care of kids living life working well, Penguin Random House Audio has your audio back. And so if you just go to tryaudiobooks.com crafter, you will find curated, especially for us makers, a whole list of titles in different genres to entertain and delight you while you are otherwise occupied. While you're there, again, it's tryaudiobooks.com crafter. You can also right now download... A free book called *Ivy and Inky the Butterfly* by fellow maker Johanna Basford. Give it a listen; it's great for all ages. I think you'll really enjoy it. This week on the show is personal trainer, diet abolitionist, and author of *Physical Disobedience*, Sarah Hayes Coomer. So, as a mom to a daughter myself, and you know, as Also being a woman, I probably like most fellow women spend a significant amount of time or at least some amount of time thinking about body image. And in a society where it's promoted often, a very unrealistic female physical ideal, there really truly is a craft to creating a healthy positive body image for ourselves and also encourage the same for the girls and the women who surround us. So during our conversation, Sarah and I talk about the challenges of connecting to our body, celebrating our strengths, and how appreciation for our own physical bodies can be the wildest form of social disobedience. Let's hear that conversation now. Sarah hayes Coomer, thank you so much for being on Craftish. Thanks for having me. I want to... um, dive right into talking about your latest book physical disobedience and begin with just a quote and then and then kind of bridge off of that so you know chapter 1 page 1 you start with The statement that there is precisely zero chance that we will be able to achieve equal stature while chronically apologizing for our own perfectly healthy, unconventionally beautiful bodies. And I think that that statement right there is a little bit, not a little bit, is very different than what we as women have grown up thinking about. And I want to get into into that philosophy. But I, w- I was wondering if you would start with a little bit of your own personal history of your relationship with your own body growing up. Sure.
1: Um, my entire career has come out of basically body dysmorphia and dysfunction when it comes to body image. Um, so, you know, starting when I was a kid, I was sort of the, you know, the little bit chubby kid, not quite not, not the fat kid, but like little feeling out of my skin. And, you know, I was teased for that just like anybody else. Um, and then as I came into being a teenager and into college, started to develop some really unhealthy fixations on that. And, um, eventually that turned
0: into eating disorders. And, uh, was this I nurtured up- at home? I mean, was, was there as a child, were you, did you have anyone surrounding you that was sort of feeding into that ment- mentality of, of hating your own body? Not purposefully,
1: but these memes are so deep in our upbringings that people aren't even aware, you know, um, my grandfather, I was in a play, and my grandfather said, well, if you want to be an actress, you should probably lose a little weight. Yeah. And he was the sweetest man you could ever hope for. Um, but he just didn't know. He didn't think. And for him, my- it
0: was constructive criticism, probably.
1: Right, yeah. He was and not to <laughs>
0: devastating, like a punch to the gut.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right? Of course, I never <laughs> forgot it. But um, uh, And my mom, you know, she was always on some sort of Weight Watchers, Andy Craig or something, and she was always obsessively going to jazzercise and things like that. Um, So it was just in the... It was in the air. I remember her little diet pills sitting on the counter and things like that. So... um, you know, that gets under your skin and you start to think, well, if she needs to lose weight and I probably need to lose weight. And then you start, you know, micromanaging your food choices and bargaining with yourself and going around in this guilt cycle with food.
0: So was she sharing with you, hey, if you, you know, if you ever struggle with this, exercise is great or these diet pills are great. Or was this purely you witnessing it while she was giving you other inspiration about you being, you know, beautiful the way you are?
1: Um, I think there was a little bit of portion sizing mm. and things like that, mm-hmm. but it wasn't overt. She wasn't telling me that, you know, that I was fat or, you know, that I needed to, to lose weight or anything. She was, but she also wasn't actively saying, you know, how beautiful I was just the way I was. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it, it wasn't really my story at that point. It was her story.
0: Right, right. And I think that's so. That's such an important, st- important statement that you just made about mothers and daughters. Um, that so much of being a young girl is about who your mother is, um, a- and how they see themselves versus how they see you. I remember, you know, my mom does has never once said a disparaging word about the way that I look or the way that I am in fact quite the opposite but of course I still remember the um that the unfortunately named AIDS diet chews yeah um you know in the refrigerator when I'm five or six you know and and you know watching her struggle and so that that sort of brought it into my zeitgeist, even though you know I'm built differently than she is, and I had different struggles. But it's it's such that's such an important, I think, statement for for mothers just to be conscious of of that they're absorbing your tapestry, your lifestyle tapestry at that point.
1: Yeah, which is both really scary because of what we're passing down, and also really empowering. Mm-hmm. And that really comes back to that statement you read at the beginning. As long as we're chronically apologizing for our own perfectly healthy, unconventionally beautiful bodies, our daughters will keep picking up on that, Mm -hmm. and our sons too, and about what a beautiful woman is, and then we'll pass that down. So we have to break that cycle so that we're breaking it for our kids as well.
0: Yeah, I know for me as a mom, I have two boys and a daughter, and um, my boys are teenagers now. And they've never once, like we've never once used the word fat in, in this house, ever. Whenever, and, and I've still, they're teenagers now, I've never heard them use it to to describe anybody. It, it was a huge conscious decision. And of course, my daughter, you know, I leaned in even more, but it was a huge conscious decision to put out, you know, men in this world that didn't identify that, didn't choose to, or didn't see women in that black and white you know sort of sense of skinny or fat it was always hey you know do these pants look flattering on me and I really need to get some exercise so that I feel healthier and stronger you know it's just the way that you make the statements Um, when you're saying the same thing but it's well you're not though you know
1: you're saying, saying is, does it make me look fat? And saying, is it flattering? You know, does it fit me well? Those are right. two different questions. Yeah. I think.
0: Good point. Good point. So I, I, I unintentionally interrupted you, you moved. So then you went to college and it became, it turned into an eating disorder.
1: Yeah. Full blown bulimia, obsessive, you know, and, uh, So, um, yeah, so that just started me down a really dark road and then it was all tied up in depression and anxiety and all kinds of other things. And when I got out into the wide world and, um, was working an office job, I was living in LA and I decided to start taking classes at UCLA, postgraduate classes, um, in physiology and nutrition and philosophy and things like that to try to, I wanted to become a personal trainer, not to control or manipulate my body or to become a hard body. Um, but to find this elusive feeling of peace in my body, I, I, impossible at the time. But I just couldn't conceive of living the rest of my life in this body that I despised. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really having any luck transforming it through the methods I was using. Um, So instead, I decided to try to make peace with it and to become a trainer for people like myself who wanted to achieve liberty in the bodies that they have and to make the strongest versions of themselves that they could. Um, so that's what I decided to do, which in L.A. was uh, – I had a boyfriend at the time who said, you know, this is a terrible idea. You don't know any celebrities. You're not going to be able to make it as a, as a trainer. What are you thinking? Because it's different culture out there. There's
0: also uh, a whole different level of – <sighs> Societal body expectations in LA, yeah, than there yeah. are where you know you and I, you live in Tennessee and I live in Texas now and we both have spent time in LA. I grew up there, and one of the reasons that I do better here is that I can fly into LA and New York and then come home and get out of the mentality. There's such a different level of expectations for how, especially women, but also men, need to look. Yeah, but it was
1: almost like person who's trying to quit smoking, who leaves the pack of cigarettes in the house. Mm -hmm. I felt like if I can do this here, um, I can do it anywhere. So, um, yeah, so, so that's what I pursued and I started hiking and I just went almost every day. And it was the days that I wanted to do it the least were the days that I needed to do it the most. And sometimes I would just go, you know, 15 minutes up the hill and turn right back around and come back, but I would go and go and go every opportunity I got. And over time, the hiking itself, the sun, the exposure to the sun and the air and just breathing and moving my body really changed my relationship with what bodies are for. Um, And it really, I I did start to achieve some of that freedom. It took longer, but you know, I I, incrementally, little by little, I started to get there and it was just, it, it was transformative.
0: Can we step back for one moment, and if you wouldn't mind, I would love for you to share the story of your trip to Israel. I found it really poignant, and um, I would love for the listeners to hear it.
1: You mean to Auschwitz?
0: Yes. Sorry, to Auschwitz.
1: Okay. Um, So, when I was in college, I had, say, early college, I think it was after my freshman year. I had saved up all my birthdays and Christmases my entire life, basically. Um, and I decided that I wanted to go to Poland. So I joined a group called Volunteers for Peace that um, organizes volunteer opportunities. And I was going to be working at an orphanage in Poland um, for a few weeks. But aside from those couple of weeks, you, just, you have to get there, and then they pay your room and board while you're there working. Um, so I went a little bit early. And I went, I decided to go to Auschwitz. And it was kind of a strange thing to do because I wasn't, I I don't have any Jewish blood. Um, But I had this obsession with bodies and um, broken bodies and bodies that had been disenfranchised. And I wanted to understand, I think, I don't think I was conscious of it at the time, but I think I wanted to understand uh, how undernourished, weakened bodies are not beautiful and are not powerful. Mm. Um, So I was there to see that, to try to expose myself to it and to see if it could change the way that I was thinking about my own body. And, um, you know, it was a powerful, incredible, uh, moving experience. And I I do think it moved the needle a little bit. um, But I tell the story in the book of walking out of there and there's like a food truck basically outside of Auschwitz so you've just gone in and seen all of these atrocities and these horrible images and you come back out and there's like potato chips and hot dogs and things like that and I remember just feeling like oh my jean shorts still fit all wrong and I better walk over to Birkenau so I can burn some calories on the way and it was just so twisted and I knew it was twisted. Um, so I was, I was looking, I was looking for the light in the middle of the darkness. Um, so it, you know, it, I think it, it, it taught me something, but it took me a lot longer than that to to get to the other side of it.
0: What would you say is the difference in your relationship with your body now, some years later as a wellness coach and a physical trainer than it was walking out uh, Uh, towards that potato chip truck in Auschwitz?
1: I mean, it's almost, it's like a different lifetime. It's a completely different experience. (laughs) Um, I am, I would say 98% there. I feel at peace. I eat what I want. I move when I want. I listen to my body. I give it what it needs. Um, I wear clothes that, feel freeing and easy and light. Um, you know, I certainly get caught now and then, uh, and on a bad day, but it's, uh, it, I, I wish there were two words for body because they're just, it, it felt like a vessel back then that I just wanted to escape. Um, and, and I, you know, now, now it's the source of all of my power and all of my joy.
0: So is it being a vessel what you mean when you reference in your writings um, that you work with people and maybe you yourself um, at what point that have challenges with connecting with the body?
1: Yeah, I think people come in all the time feeling like they are cut off at the neck, you know, and they're trying to tell their bodies what to do. They're trying to make them be a certain way rather than reversing that conversation and having the body speak to them so that they can hear what they need in order to be more grounded in their lives and in their bodies and utilize their bodies to, to make the rest of their lives um, come, come into focus.
0: So circling back to the quote that we started with, talk a little bit, if you would, about the connection between how we view and speak about our bodies and feminism.
1: Right. So if we are walking around all the time, apologizing for who we are, trying to shrink ourselves, trying to silence ourselves, trying to fit into all of the norms of how we're supposed to look and behave and speak, uh, then we are not fully realized in the first place. We're not being authentic and we're not able to claim our space and our ground and our wisdom, of which we have (laughs) a lot as women. Um, So I have found it easier. I used to have my personal training business used to be called strength outside in. And I have found that the, it sometimes gets to be such a mucky mess up in my brain that the easiest thing for me over the years has been to go, all right, well, that mess is just going to be what it is. There it is. Leave it alone. Step outside of it and start from the outside in. So let the mess exist and go to my body, go to the earth, go to the air, and try to invigorate that. And it's always, without fail, ends up focusing my mind and um, amplifying my voice so that I can be more present as a woman, as a mother, as a friend, all of the as a professional.
0: So. How how is our the the vernacular that we use though to describe women and describe ourselves doing a disservice to achieving equality the ultimate goal of achieving equality for women
1: well i mean we are we are constantly in a dance of trying to um be thin enough, small enough. I start the book with a very brief, you know, image of, you know, twist your body, ladies, bend those knees. You know, we always look, if you look on Facebook or Instagram and you start to see all the women always have like a knee pop. Going or an arm on the hip to try to you know keep the bat wings from showing you know all of this and um, so so there's there's the images that we're trying to create of being kind of sideways so we're not facing head on and then there are the conversations that we have in you know with our friends or our um, or in front of our kids like we were discussing about how we're not enough in one way or another we're not thin enough we're not strong enough we're not smart enough we're not you know there's all the ways that we are constantly cutting ourselves down just disempowers us so we need to get you know under that in order to start to change some of those conversations in our own heads so that we can change them outside in the world
0: i'm always struck when i'm you know on a beach or you know, just on a walk, and somebody's mowing their lawn. When it's, you know, a overweight, you know, middle-aged guy, completely comfortable in being, you know, bare-chested and out and about. Yeah. As he, I mean, he should be. But I'm just always struck that if women had even a symbol full of that self-confidence, yeah, on a daily yeah. basis. And I, th- I think that that's, that that's maybe the point that you're making. And, and please tell me if I'm wrong that w- we can't achieve equality while we're always apologizing and sucking in when it's not, that's not the exact same thing that's happening with the other gender.
1: Yes. Yes. Exactly. And that's where the disobedience, the physical disobedience piece comes in. So it's, and it's really interesting when you start to play with it. Um, There's there's a little description of me on the beach in the book of of like trying the two different poses of what does it mean to arch the low back and lift the knee and turn just a bit so hips don't so your saddlebags don't flatten out for this you know sky and the birds to see. so and then and then playing with laying flat and spreading out in feeling my hands in the sand and my toes and and what does that mean? What do those two different positions feel like? And as you start to play with that, as you're walking into a room, a, a professional meeting, or if you're walking into a party, and, and you're playing with what does it mean to take my body with me into this room rather than wishing I could leave it on the closet floor with all of the clothes that I discarded. Because because I didn't like how they looked. Um, It's a really, it it gets, you start to feel kind of defiant and a little bit playful. It's like your inner teenager coming out and being like, yeah, all right, what if I walk into this room just like I am? What happens? And either nothing happens and it's no big deal or else people are like, whoa, who's that? What's going on with this person?
0: It's a really cool practice. You know, this is is a little bit obscure, but it it reminds me of, I read an article at some point somewhere about Meryl Streep, um, and she said that she can walk around completely unrecognized if she changes her posture and just walks with her head down and slumps a little. But as soon yeah. as she turns it on, she turns Meryl Streep on. Uh-huh. Her face lights up, her shoulders back. She gets immediately recognized. Yep. And this feels very much like the same space. It's the it's the light within yourself, letting it shine versus dimming it by constricting, um, with your own sort of mentality. Talk a little bit more. You mentioned that you were seeking a lightness. Will you speak a little bit to what you mean when you talk about a lightness of both body and mind?
1: Yeah, that's actually the title of my first book, Lightness of Body and Mind. Um... So I felt like I was at war for most of my life with my body. I felt like I was heavy and bloated and, um, in my mind I was angry and resentful and frustrated, um, and it just was no kind of life. It wasn't, uh, it didn't resemble how I wanted to spend my days. So I got into the weeds with that and decided to see how I could lighten that load. And, you know, I actually had to make peace with, as far as food went, um, the possibility that if I let go of some of that control and some of that angst, that I was actually going to put on some weight and that that might look to the outside world heavier, but that uh, on the inside, I was going to feel free and light from that, um, obsession. So it did actually, I did, I did gain a little bit at first and then slowly over years, it started to drop off really effortlessly. Um, and that was the lightness that I was looking for, not the weight, but the freedom from the freedom from the whole conversation in my mind, ultimately, you know, to, to be, to be, to have all of this conversation be irrelevant would be the ideal for all of us, I think. Um, so it was freedom.
0: You say that we don't need to overpower our bodies in order to make them better what what are we doing to overpower our bodies
1: So a lot of people will decide, I'm going to do a 30-day fast, or I'm going to do boot camp, and I haven't moved in six months. Um, I'm going to train for a marathon, even though I hate running. (laughs) I've never run more than a mile. Things like that is when we're trying to overpower our bodies. Um, So instead of doing that, I tend to try to encourage people to take small, incremental steps, to think about, kind of, it's like you're you're standing on parched earth, and you're trying to fill in the gaps underneath you with um, food that makes you feel alive. And sometimes that means comfort food, and that's fine. Um, but if you're not in this constant give and take of, well, tonight I'm going to eat all the things because tomorrow I'm going to stop, um, and then tomorrow never comes. So you go round around that cycle. Um, if you can fill up on foods that you happen to like that also feed and nurture your body um, then over time you're going to find that those cravings a lot of them follow away and when they don't you're able to fulfill them and the same is true for exercise so that you're being a health opportunist really so you're looking for every single opportunity to move and to engage in some kind of activity that makes you feel good and that could be anything from you know Going to a community meeting and afterwards helping everybody put all the chairs back where they belong, um, and it, you start to make new friends that way. And you know you're you're getting out with your camera and you're doing photography all over town rather than sitting on your couch and watching TV and parking like they say furthest away from work or furthest away from the mall and taking those walks and just getting your body moving in every way that you can, and then you start to feel more alive. You start to feel more engaged. You want to explore, and then you're you know out trying kite surfing or something. Who knows what you end up doing next
0: so it sounds like this is the interconnection between sort of physical health and well-being you're both a trainer and a a wellness coach will you will you talk to us about what the difference is between health and wellness
1: Well, you know, health, if you think of it as medical health, um, then you're looking at your blood pressure and, you know, you're looking at your heart rate and you're looking at how easily you can breathe um, and how fast you can go without tiring. Um, And then wellness, I see as more of a mind-body balance so that are you, um, are you, Do you feel strong? Do you feel clear headed? Do you feel like you're able to be present with friends and family so that you're not constantly monitoring how your waistband feels instead of paying attention to your kids school play and things like that. Um, So wellness is a much broader thing. And then health is the actual physiological wellness.
0: Do you think that there is a connection to the way that we as women struggle with our bodies and the way that clothing is sized and manufactured? (laughs) Well, they certainly
1: do (laughs) because, you know, they make a size eight. That's actually a size 12. (laughs) So, um, sure. I think, uh, I mean, these are numbers, these are measurements, and this is something I really push back against in general, um, how how we're constantly measuring whether it's steps or calories or, you know, all the things that we're, that we're constantly, you know, even the, the um, you know, uh, watches that'll tell you how well you're sleeping and, you know, things like that. They can be good tools to discover a problem, um, but if we rely on them for to measure our well-being, then I think we're really missing the boat. For me, that makes me feel more disconnected. So when we're looking at clothing sizes, um, you know, ideally, it's about how we feel in the clothes. Do they, do they make you feel free? Do they make you feel alive? Um so ideally we could we could step away from all that, but that is a really long road to to get to that point.
0: It is, but it's such a needless struggle. And I say that as somebody who, you know, has just recently decided that why am I trying to battle myself into these genes? I feel strong. I feel healthy. I feel like I'm in a great place in my life. Why? Yeah why am I staring at this number that worked for me at another time when actually I wasn't feeling healthy and one of my children was really sick. So I was, I was, you know, not my fittest, you know, yeah. Uh, why am I, why am I doing that because of this number tag? Um, and it's, it's, it's a huge, I think it's a huge issue for, for us that we base so much like our value scale is, falls on that number of size that we purchase.
1: So how does that feel? Do you feel like you've been able to step away from it?
0: Well, I mean, this is, this is with <laughs> no, not yet. No. no. <laughs> and here's the thing. I'm a petite woman. I, right. you know, I, I have never n- been overweight but as far as society is continued, concerned. Um, but i have never had a small waist because of the way that i'm built so often things don't fit the way that they should fit and it's a, it's a you know it's a struggle and i just i just recently resum- i'm about to have sort of what i consider a middle aged birthday and i just I, I i'm not into it anymore like i just i just am not into it so um i'm, yeah. I'm working on it i'm i'm working on it you know and i definitely don't want I I don't want my own daughter to and, and it's not in her zeitgeist yet, but as she gets closer to being, you know, a tween and a teen, I want to be able to say with confidence, yeah, I don't I don't buy those because the waist is completely uncomfortable, you know. And yeah. not because, yeah, I don't get those because I can't buy it in the size that I which I would never actually <laughs> say to her, but I I want to be walking on the walk instead of just talking the talk.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the book is really meant to be, to offer a kind of scaffolding that we can build around ourselves so that we have the tools in place to start moving in these directions because the freedom, I mean, imagine what women could accomplish if we just dropped all that. And we're just present and out mowing the lawn with our shirts off, like <laughs> the guys, you know what I mean? Um, that's it, you know, <laughs> but, um, so I, I think it's, 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 it's a practice. It's a step, it's one step at a time. Um, but I, I a hundred percent believe and know for a fact that it's, achievable to step away from all of that like great it's the size you know eight instead of the size four or the size 20 instead of the size 16 that that fits me right and I'm going to buy that because it makes me feel awesome
0: and furthermore allow it to not feel or uh, get rid of the thought that it would feel awesome except that I know that there's this number on this like th- right. like alleviate the fact that the one thing that makes it you feel lesser is what that number is
1: yeah and that's about about getting back into this ability to actually hear your body and listen from the body up so the body is is feeling alive and free and beautiful but your brain is saying, but that size isn't right. You know, if, if, if the brain could, if we can get the brain offline and actually listen from the body up, then it's it's so much easier.
0: How do you listen to the body? What are, what, what are signs that we can find within ourselves that our bodies do feel free and beautiful? Because maybe we're quieting that voice because the other is so loud. The the societal expectations is so loud.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, one way is to think about it as sort of a pushback, a defiance, a form of activism for women's rights to say, I'm not going to listen to these external voices that are telling me what I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to look and behave. So for some women, that's a great motivator. Um, And then... For the rest of us, you know, I describe it in the book like uh, it's like you're in the middle of a foot. You're like on the field in a pro football stadium and you've got, um, you know, human cannonballs coming at you from left and right. These are all the things of your life, your work, your your family your all the drama, all the things. And you're trying to dodge those cannonballs. And meanwhile, there's these little tiny mice running around on the field and they're squeaking at you and they're trying to say, pay attention, pay attention to me. And that's the low back pain, or the stomach that doesn't feel quite right, or the clothes that just fit all wrong that make you feel really heavy and weird. Um, and you, if, if, if you, can, if you can start looking for those squeaks, for hearing those squeaks, and they come back, they come back again and again and again. And if you can start to hear those, identify them, and then figure out this behavioral infrastructure around them to try to give them what they need so that you can just pick them up gently and take them off the field, um, then, then you're really heading in the right direction, and there's so much opportunity there.
0: It almost sounds, uh, there's an author, Marie Kondo, who, you know, wrote this book about decluttering. Yeah. And she says something to the effect of, you know, if something doesn't bring you joy, then you should get rid of it. Um, Which, you know, take take what you want from it. But it almost seems like as we approach our own closets, that perhaps we should walk into them and whatever doesn't service our wellness or feed the brightest spots of our inner shine should go a hundred percent
1: there's just no space for that why would we do that why would we keep things you know and that means like i can't stand skinny jeans i can't i can't like my ankles can't breathe i like bell bottoms and you know just um, flowy skirts and things like that i just there's something about my body that just doesn't and it's not even about how i look it just doesn't feel i can't move i can't breathe so i have to in spite of it being literally what everyone on planet earth has been wearing for the last five years um i just i'm not going to do that i've tried every time i do it i just just walk around feeling like a weird, awkward mannequin. So hearing those messages and just doing our own thing, it's really radical and it's really fun when you get into it.
0: Well, you share in the book that one of your sort of challenge areas were what you called your triangles, and I, I imagine the skinny jean is not a friend to that to that <laughs> particular phobia. Um, that's true. Yes,
1: yes. The little saddlebags at the side of the hips. Yeah, triangles. But that's such my, a nicer that's way of my heritage. You know, I got that from my mom, and that's okay. And yeah. she got it from her mom.
0: Yeah. How is taking care of our bodies, a form of political action. We've spoken a little, we've alluded to it, but straight up. Yeah. So
1: we are defying, if we if we can take our bodies with us into these rooms unapologetically, completely, without like, uh, I'm pretending to be unapologetic, which is okay to start there. But if you could actually show up in all of these rooms it just, I mean, it puts, it it throws people back on their heels because they're not used to women moving through space like that. <sighs> so it's going to take some time. And, you know, certainly, um, I don't want to get too political, but like when you talk, think about, you know, Bernie Sanders versus Hillary Clinton and the way that like Bernie was like, you know, uh cheered on for being this kind of grumpy disheveled old man with his hair all over the place and baggy suits and whatever and everywhere Hillary went it was what's wrong with her pants suit what's wrong with the way that she spoke <laughs> what's wrong with so we're dealing with some really big cultural issues so collectively as women and then the messages that we're passing down to the next generation it's going to take time but if we stop apologizing then eventually you know we're going to be moving as a unit and shifting these cultural expectations and the cultural norms. And over time, it will, it will help to, to change women's power and to allow us to be further up on the chain.
0: What do you hope that readers take away from, um, from physical disobedience? I hope they take a measure of playfulness –
1: Um, which can be a really good tool for, uh, freeing our bodies. And, um, you know, we have, we have a lot of, I I have a long list in there of all the issues that we're dealing with, um, you know, from the environment to the rights of disabled people and immigrants and refugees. And, And there's just so many different fronts, gun safety on which so many people are working, um, So we have to bring in an element of joy and celebration and play. We have to give ourselves time to rest. We have to be able to grieve when all of this um, horrible news comes, comes through us and over us every day, letting this stuff move through our bodies and then building this infrastructure so that we are meeting the stress and anxiety and really trauma that is finding a home in our bodies. We're meeting that with a very specific list of Responses So that whether that's alternative therapies, the way we think about motherhood, social media, and of course diet and exercise. So we have these things in place to respond when we're just blind with rage and we can't see straight that we have ways to respond to that. That make us feel good and at peace so that we can maintain our quality of life.
0: Sarah Hayes-Coomer, I love the message that you stand for. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: For more information on Sarah Hayes Coomer and her book, Physical Disobedience, go to her show notes page at com slash craftish. All right, now it is time for what I'm crafting to, courtesy of our friends over at Penguin Random House Audio so while i've been working this week i've been doing a lot of um i actually had a book deadline so you know a lot of sort of copy reading and you know formatting and then i've also been doing a little bit of sewing and then the usual knitting um i've been listening to i've been listening and watching to a bunch of things so i finished binge watching schitt's creek it's a canadian sitcom starring eugene and daniel levy it's one of my favorite things right now. It's just really entertaining and light, and great to have in the background um, because it's not super hard to follow or anything. So you can find that um, on Netflix, I believe. So I finally, as far as movie goes, so every Friday night, and we've been doing this for oh my goodness since my boys were little and they're teenagers now, we do a Friday night movie night and my daughter, who's nine and a half, has been wanting to watch The Nutcracker, and I had promised to take her to see it in the theaters, the movie version, Uh, and we just, the the holidays got away from us, and we just never got it done, so we finally watched it. You can stream it now um, on Friday, and um, it, it was actually really lovely. It was a lot nicer, frankly, than I expected, but my absolute favorite thing about it was that Um, They did incorporate some ballet, although it wasn't the focal point of the movie, and the ballerina that was featured and starred in it was the incomparable Misty Copeland. If you've never looked up Misty, she is breaking barriers within the ballet world, so you should absolutely check her out. Um, I listen to a bunch of podcasts, uh, a lot of political podcasts, uh, social commentary, pop culture, and in that rotation um, is usually It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders, and on Tuesdays, he does, uh, interviews with different, um, with different people in pop culture, uh, often people of color, often people in the LGBTQ community, um, and they're always just really great conversations. And the one that I just listened to is, um, an interview with Titus Burgess from the Unbreakable Jimmy Schmidt. And, uh, I really enjoyed it. So you can find that wherever you get your podcasts audiobooks i am i have delved into the beastie boys book written by the two surviving members of the beastie boys michael diamond and adam Horowitz, the third member, Adam Yao, um, he died from cancer in 2012. And this book is, you know, obviously written by them and told in their words. And they take turns either narrating the audiobook themselves or there's this huge cast of celebrities that are also reading some of the chapters. And so far, I've heard, um, I have heard, um, you know, both Adam and Mike D narrate, but also Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth and actor John C. Riley, just to name a couple, and I'm really enjoying it. Their story is really interesting because it interweaves sort of the very root of some of the music that they represent um, and their culture. So, if you are of the Beastie Boys general zeitgeist, um, meaning if you lived any time between you know, 1980 and now, you should definitely check out the Beastie Boys book. And you can find that at tryaudiobooks.com or wherever you download your audiobooks. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. Rating and reviews help people find us um, and that enables us to be able to make more episodes craftish is a campbell production it's produced in austin texas by me and mixed and edited by dave campbell music is provided by explosions in the sky don't forget to follow me on instagram at vicki howell um, and also if you like on facebook also vicki howell twitter same thing Maybe you're sensing a theme here. Um, I would love to see you there. Love to chat. Um, and if there is anything that you would like to recommend to listen to or watch while you're making, please just post any of those places, and I will check it out. Check your feed again next Thursday for the newest episode of Craft- Craftish. I'm really excited about this one. Um, I have been, as I said, sewing a lot, and we've got uh, we've got Gertie Hirsch, the incomparable Gertie Hirsch, on that episode. So keep an eye open for that. Until next time, take a moment to breathe in, craft out.